Lord Jesus, we would see you high and lifted up in your glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I love to give dinner parties. Now, I, I like to give dinner parties because I like to cook, but I really like brunches on Saturday morning when I can invite people over and we can sit and eat and, you know, about 10, 10.30, and then we can talk and there's no pressure to do anything. Now, imagine being invited with personal invitation to dine with a president. Well, I was invited and dined with the president of Fiji some years back, and I was, he was here, then someone else was here, and I was here at the, at the front table. And, and you know, the, the, all the liveried servants coming out and all the dishes being served, and man, that, was, that was the most impressive meal I've ever eaten. But imagine being invited to dine in the presence of God. Moses and Aaron and Abihu and Ninadab and uh, the 70 elders were invited by God to come up onto the mountain and to eat in his presence. Can you imagine that? Being invited to a sit-down dinner, a formal event hosted by God himself. Can you imagine sitting at the tables? Now, did they eat man? I don't think so. Uh, I think you know, they, God, God put on a pretty good feed. And can you imagine saying to Michael or to Gabriel, hey, I'd like another glass of wine, please. But they were up there, and they were in God's presence, and they were eating, and they were feasting. And then the 70 elders and Aaron and the others, except for Joshua, went back down the mountain, and Moses and Joshua went further up into the presence of God. Now, we know that Joshua didn't go all the way up with Moses because it says that it was Moses who was in God's presence, Moses who was talking with God. And we need to spend time, and Moses spent time in God's presence, and he partook of God's marvelous glory. He was talking with God. He was, he was seeing him. He was knowing him. He was understanding him. He was talking with God directly on the mountain. But he wasn't talking with him face to face at that point. Because we know later on, he said, I want to see your face. So how that conversation happened, we know he was talking. Obviously, there was the glory of God that was there. He wasn't actually seeing God face to face. But he talked with him there. And then he comes back down from the mountain. And we see as he's talking with God that our God is a communicating God. God in communication. God who wants to talk with us, who wants to be with us. A God of interaction. When the garden situation happened and Adam and Eve sinned, God was grieved at having to not have fellowship with man again. And he's been longing to see that fellowship restored. And it'll never be totally restored until the consummation of all things. But when he came down off the mountain, his face shining that first time, and he went into the tent of meeting, well, then he went back up on the mountain for another 40 days. So he was in God's presence for 80 days. And then he comes down, and his face is shining. 
And then he begins to meet with, with a, well, actually with the pre-incarnate Christ in the tent of meeting. And we know that because it says that he talked with God, which means the pre-incarnate Christ, the, the angel of the Lord, as a man talks with a man, as a friend talks with a friend. Let's think about the Shekinah glory of God a little bit. Where do we see it? Well, there are scholars who believe, biblical scholars who believe that Adam and Eve actually had that Shekinah glory when they were, when they were created. What, what is more, that if an angel had kind of out of the corner of his eye seen Adam walking prior to the fall, he would say, there goes God, oh no, that's Adam. In other words, there, there was this shining radiance being in the presence of God that just, that just was there with created humanity before the fall. That's very possibly true. Then we see that there was the kind of glory that Moses saw in the burning bush and then in the wilderness cloud for the 40 years as they were, as they were walking through the wilderness and over the mercy seat between the cherubim and at the dedication of the tabernacle and over the mercy seat in the tent of meeting. In David's day, by the way, everyone could see the glory of God when they went into that tent. That was the only period of time, those few years, when the glory of God was available to any person who could come in. And then at the dedication of the temple, and then on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then, of course, in the New Jerusalem, where we're told that the Lamb is the light, and there's no need for the sun or the moon, because Jesus himself provides that light. And the presence of the Shekinah glory over the mercy seat in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the temple, set Israel apart from all the pagan nations that surrounded them. Remember Moses saying to God, if you don't go with me, let me die here. Because what will distinguish me and what will distinguish this nation from any other nation if we don't have the presence of God with us? If you're not with us, then I don't want to go forward. And God is with us in his church. God is with us whenever we meet with him. And we need to spend quality, sustained worship time in the presence of Jesus, to be re-energized, refreshed, strengthened, and empowered. This is why we come to church on Sundays. This is why we have our small groups. This is why we have our triads. This is why we meet together with friends to have coffee, with Christians who, who, with whom we can share the glory of God. Now, Moses comes down. His face is shining. The people are frightened. This probably was the first time that most of them had seen the glory of God. And they didn't know what to make of it. But as he came out, down from the mountain, as he came out from the tent of meeting, his face was shining. And you see, a man's countenance was a true reflection of his inner character, according to the Israelites in that day. And so when they would see Moses' face shining, they thought, ah, this is a man who's been in the presence of God. But Moses put a veil over his face. Why did he put it there? Well, we're told in Corinthians it was because the glory began to fade. In other words, when Moses spent time in the presence of God, in the presence of, of the pre-incarnate Jesus, his face was radiant. But the longer he spent out of the presence of God, that glory faded. And he was the leader of the people, and he was afraid that the people would see the glory fading, and they wouldn't respect him anymore. Well, the longer you're away from the divine presence, the more the glory fades. This is why we're told, don't forget to assemble together as some do. Well, what was Moses' glory? This shining. Ultimately, Moses died. 
His glory was like the reflective glory of the moon derived from the sun. It was not enough to sustain him forever. And Paul uses this veil image, the fading glory image, a number of times. In Corinthians, he says that the glory of the law was fading. And in other words, those of you who follow the law, look, it's fading, it's, 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 it's passing away. Don't follow the law, follow Jesus. His glory is increasing. Don't follow what's fading, don't follow legalism. He also used the fading glory to say that the Jews of his day had put a veil over their own heart. So that when they would see Jesus, that veil would keep them from believing him and accepting that he was the Messiah. He used that same image to teach that we who believe see the glory of Jesus with unveiled hearts in the word of God and so experience spiritual transformation. We need the glory of God. And so now we come to our gospel, the eight days which, by the way, is indicative of a period of new creation. There are seven days in which God worked and all creation was complete. Now Jesus is taught on the plains. He's revealed himself fully as Messiah and Lord. And now, on the eighth day, as he goes up onto the mountain, he is saying, here is a time of new creation. Here is a time when things begin anew. This is a tipping point. This is a balancing point. And the Shekinah glory comes. And they see and they hear. And Peter and James and John are called up onto the mountain, these three, who are the inner circle with Jesus. You see, it's okay to have close friends. Even Jesus had this close inner circle who, who were his close friends, and we're told that John was the one that Jesus loved. It's okay to have best friends. Peter, James, John, who had been with him when Jairus' daughter was raised, who were with him here, and who were called with him in Gethsemane. And on this Mount of Transfiguration, God declares fully again, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is unique. Jesus is the light of the world. Moses and Jesus have a lot of unique connections in the Bible. Moses said, the Lord your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And Jesus is the new Moses. When Philip came and was calling his brother, he said, look, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus of Nazareth. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Again, Jesus comparing himself to Moses and, or to an event in Moses' life. And Paul saying that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, meaning Moses, but I have come to complete all that it lacked and could not accomplish. And the writer of Hebrews saying that Moses was faithful in all God's house, but Jesus is the builder of the house and has greater honor. And in Exodus, Moses leading the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. So Jesus leads people out of their bondage to sin and to death. And so when Jesus meets Moses and Elijah, they speak about, interestingly enough, his exodus. Again, comparing what Jesus is doing to what Moses did. This is his exodus, which he was about to accomplish.
They didn't come to kibitz. They didn't come to shoot the breeze. They had something very important to discuss. There were serious matters that were immediately at hand. But you see, I think that, that something else was going on here. Moses was a friend of God's. Moses was a friend of Jesus. And Jesus was coming on to the, the greatest crisis he would face in his life. The one that he said, I wish it were over. I know it's coming. And, and he needed to be strengthened and encouraged. And who can strengthen and encourage you better than an old friend. And so Moses, as an old friend, comes to encourage him through this difficult period of time. We need each other. We need to encourage and strengthen each other and to be encouraged and strengthened by each other. And again, that's why we assemble together. That's why we meet each week as a church. That's why we have the small groups. That's why we have the, the triads. That's why we participate in the rites of our church, the historic faith, because it encourages us. It strengthens us. It lifts us up. It draws us into the presence of God. It makes us radiate from within, even though the external glory may not be seen. We, we, are, we, are, we are recharged. We're, sto we're stoked. We're stocked up. We're enabled and encouraged to minister life to those around us. Now, Peter and James and John were expected to hear the conversation that took place on that mountain between Moses and Elijah and Jesus. But what happened? They were tired. Just like in Gethsemane, they were supposed to pray with Jesus. They were tired. The human body sometimes gives out. I just spent a, a, an evening, a whole night at the emergency ward and the next day in the hospital while they were checking out something with my heart. What's going on? We, get, we wear out. We get tired. But they were supposed to be awake. They were supposed to listen. They were supposed to hear what was going on, and they didn't. And so Peter misunderstands. He wakes up. And he sees these three, and of course, Elijah represents the prophets, Moses represents the law, Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, represents the culmination of all things, and Peter says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, we, ah, wait, wait, we need to keep these three together. We need the law, we need the prophet, we need Jesus. Let's, let's, let's have some booze, let's, let's have a party here, let's do what we did on the mountain in the presence of God. Let's, let's. And he was equating Moses and Elijah and Jesus as though they were equal. And God, from his perspective, says, absolutely not. And the cloud envelops them all. Now, you see, the glory that was radiating was radiating not just out of Jesus. It was radiating out of, the, out of Moses and Elijah as well. And, and all of a sudden, this glory, this cloud, begins to come toward the apostles, these three. And they were terrified. They'd never had any encounter like this. They didn't know what to do. And Peter had just said, you know, the law, the prophets, and Jesus, they're all the same. And God says, no, that's not it. When the cloud departs, Jesus himself is there. And the voice has said, this is my beloved son. Listen alone to him. 
Now those same words, had, with, with the exception of that last sentence, had been spoken to Jesus at his baptism. But now they're spoken to the apostles saying, this is my son, he's the one. He is the one from whom all glory is derived. Jesus is the fulfillment, the completion of all the law and the prophets. He is prophet, priest, and king. He's the culmination of all things. And in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in form. It had been concealed. Now it's revealed temporarily. Then it's hidden again, and they come down. But it will be revealed again. We live in his glory now. We live in and on him totally, but it'll be a different scale when we reach our final home in the New Jerusalem, where he is the ultimate and only source of all light, and we fully participate and radiate the glory of God ourselves and Jesus will be exalted above all and his brothers and sisters we ourselves will be radiating that glory just as his glory was radiated on that mountain he was and always is God he makes us his children his brothers and sisters and he will share that glory with us Right now, that glory is not shared. God says, I will not share my glory with any other. But he shares his glory with us in eternity. We learn in our psalm that the Lord reigns, that the Lord is great, that the Lord is holy, that the Lord executes righteousness and justice. There's that theme again, righteousness, justice. God always doing, God always walking in the right path, God always having the ultimate outcome of justice. He is holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, it means to be set apart. But what does it mean to be set apart? It means to not be involved in contamination, not to be embracing the things of this world. God is totally other. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. But he calls us to that level of highness. He calls us to that level of glory. And as we live in his glory now, we are to live in and through that glory in love, as is made clear in our passage in 1 Corinthians. God is love. The Corinthians had been partisan. The Corinthians had not expressed God's love and grace toward one another. They had particularly been against those who were, who were poor, putting them down and saying to them, you can't have any gifts, you can't do anything. And they had thought that by speaking in tongues, they were speaking the tongues of angels. They thought they'd already arrived in the glory, and they hadn't. And so in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, no, no, listen, affirm one another, help one another, encourage one another, lift one another up. And we lift up one another. We encourage each other. Donna Westman sends out the prayer request. Alan administrates. Ron, Jason, and I preach and teach. And, and Jan, too, oversees the altar guild. But all of us do our part to build up the body of Christ in love. We're called to love. We're called to seek the best for one another. Baptism and confirmation are part of what God's provided through his church to enable us to be filled with his spirit, 
that is with his glory and to equip each of us to participate more fully in the body of Christ. These set us apart, making us holy as he is holy. And God intends that each of us would exercise the various gifts and ministries that he has given us in love for one another, respecting one another, honoring one another, recognizing that each of us has our own areas of gifting. They're unique. Now, Paul said, do all prophesy. Do all speak in tongues. Do and, and some say, well, that means they can't all. But no, what he was saying is, I wish that you all did. But do you know? And why didn't they? Because they were partisan. Because they were bickering. And therefore, their, their ministry gifts were suppressed. But in our congregation, we love one another. We encourage one another. We see one another praying and, and anointing uh, seats and things like that. And we say, go for it. Do your best. Let's be blessed as the body of Christ. Let's love one another as he has loved us. And then that radiance will radiate from this congregation, not just to one another, but the community will see that we are the children of God and that we love one another with that intense love. And although we may not radiate actual physical light, that light will nonetheless be seen. And they will know the love of the Lord. And they will be drawn to him as we love each other, as he loved us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.